This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. From John 1, the Word was first, the Word present to God, God present to the Word. The Word was God. In readiness for God from day one, everything was created through Him. Nothing, not one thing, came into being without Him. What came into existence was life, and the life was the light to live by. The life light blazed out of the darkness, and the darkness couldn't put it out. There was once a man, his name was John, sent from God to point out the way to, to the life light. He came to show everyone where to look, who to believe in. John was not himself the light. He was there to show the way to the light. The life light was the real thing. Every person entering life, he brings into light. He was in the world. The world was there through him, and yet the world didn't even notice him. He came to his own people, but they didn't want him. But whoever did want him, who believed that he was who he claimed he was and would do what he said, he made them to be their true selves, to be their child of God's selves. These are the God-begotten, not blood-begotten, not flesh-begotten. The Word became flesh and blood. This is speaking of Jesus this morning. And moved in to the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. This morning, I want to look at human Jesus, the human side of Jesus. We know that Jesus was the son of God, but he was also the son of man. And particularly this morning, I want to answer the question, why was Jesus' humanity necessary? Let me read from Philippians, just out of the New Living Translation, before we go any further this morning. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. I believe this morning that as we discover what the scriptures teach us about the humanity of Jesus, that we can grow, we can deepen in our walk with him. After all, Jesus is that person, the the son of God that we relate to during the week. He is the God that we serve. He is the centerpiece of Christianity, Christ himself. And if you you will just put your mind and your attention on this this morning, I believe and I pray that we can go deeper in our walk with Jesus. So why was Jesus' humanity necessary? You know, I was thinking, could God not have just visited the human race in some other way, in some divine way? Could he not have sent angels or just visited it just in his spirit? and done the work of redemption, or just quickly done the plan he wanted to do so that man could be saved. Could he have? Well, the scriptures show us absolutely not. 
No, Jesus had to come, not just as the Son of God, but he had to come as the Son of Man. And we're going to look at some of the scriptures that support that this morning. Let me just quote the theologian Wayne Grudem. It is by far the most amazing miracle of the entire Bible, far more amazing than the resurrection and more amazing even than the creation of the universe. The fact that the infinite, omnipotent, eternal Son of God could become man and join himself to a human nature forever so that infinite God became one person with finite man will remain for eternity the most profound miracle and the most profound mystery in all of the universe. Some theologians have said that maybe God was half man and half, sorry, Jesus was half God and half man, but there's no scriptural support that really firmly proves that. In fact, Jesus was fully God and fully man. A mystery, yes. Hard for our human minds to understand, but that doesn't make it not true. If we believe what the scriptures say, it might be a mystical thing to to, to think of Jesus being fully God and fully man. And there may be some unanswered questions in that, but that's what the scriptures teach. And that's what we are to believe as Christians this morning. How serious then is this issue of Jesus being fully man. Well, the Apostle John shows us just how serious this is. If you turn with me to 1 John and 4. First John chapter 4, verse 1. do not believe every spirit but test the spirits whether they are of God because many false prophets have gone out into the world by this you know the spirit of God every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God and this is the spirit of the antichrist You know, so serious was this issue of Jesus, whether Jesus truly came in the flesh in human form, that the Apostle John talks of this heretical teaching as the spirit of the Antichrist. And this was something that the Apostle John was dealing with at the time of the writing. It was known as as docetism, which is claiming that Jesus only appeared to be human and that this wasn't really God. But it's true to say that to deny Jesus' true humanity is to deny something right at the heart of Christianity. And this morning I want to take a look at what the New Testament teaches us. The first thing you see on the screen there, if it's working, it is, is that Jesus had to come as a man to represent us in obedience. You see, Adam failed to obey. You look at the Garden of Eden, and you and I standing there, we would have also failed. And of course, we failed in our obedience. There's no way that you and I could have have obeyed Jesus enough to, to be accepted. 
That obedience is not enough. Someone had to represent us in obedience. That obedience had to be perfect obedience. And Jesus had to come as a man. He had to walk as a man on this earth. And he had to prove through temptations, through trial, that he could obey the Father's will perfectly. And he represents us today that know Christ. Think of Jesus in the wilderness temptations. He went through those temptations and he overcame Think of Jesus testing and trial in the Garden of Gethsemane. Again, he was tested to, to sweating great drops of blood, but he passed the test and he obeyed. Turn with me to Romans, and let's see the scriptural backing for this. Romans chapter 5. there just go all the way to verse 18 now before we read this the first segment of verse 18 is speaking of Adam and the second segment is speaking of Jesus so let's just keep that in mind as we read therefore as through one man's offense judgment came to all men resulting in condemnation even so through one man's righteous act and of course that's speaking of Jesus through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. So where, where one man, Adam, sinned, that brought condemnation, that brought a separation between God and humankind. And it was necessary that Jesus came in human form so he could walk as a man to be our representative in obedience. And second, this morning, the scriptures reveal that it was important for him to come as a man because we needed a substitute sacrifice. Someone had to pay the cost for our sins. Something had to cover our sins. The, the sacrifice of, a, of another human being, of course, that wasn't Jesus, like one of you or I, would not have been enough. It wouldn't have been an appropriate sacrifice. But Jesus, because he walked perfectly, and because he was a man, was an appropriate substitute. It had to be a man that paid for the, sin kinds of men, the, the sins of men. And Jesus, of course, was a man as well as God. And Hebrews 2, 16, 17, let me read out of the New Living Translation, says this, we also know that the Son did not come to help angels. You look at it on the screen there, just follow me. We also know that the Son did not come to help angels. He came to help the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. And next this morning... He came as a man to be our mediator, to be that go-between between God and man. You see, sin creates this great separation between mankind and God. And mankind needed someone to bridge the gap, to, to be the go-between. Mankind needed someone to represent them back to God so the relationship could be restored. And God also needed someone 
that was divine to represent himself to mankind in a way that mankind could see clearly what God is like, what his heart is, what his, what his desire is, what his will is. And of course, God wanted to deal with the sin issue. God wanted a restoration of relationship with man. And Jesus came as a man and fit the bill as mediator. He was able to perfectly represent God to us, and he was able to stand and represent us to God, being that go-between that restores that relationship. So that's the fourth point, third point this morning, to be the mediator between God and men. And let's just turn to 1 Timothy and read. This is such a, a wonderful scripture. It's short, but it's just excellent. See, I told you you'd have plenty of opportunity to look in the Word, so. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. He had to be fully God and he had to be fully man to fulfill the role of mediator. Now, here's an interesting one for you. Let me just have a look at my notes. He had to come as a man to fulfill God's original plan for man to rule over creation. Are you still with me this morning? I'm not going too deep into any of these points because point one would be 45 minutes. I'll be sermon one. You know, and then point two would be another sermon. So we're briefly looking at each of these aspects this morning. So God had this plan originally for, for man to rule over creation in the Garden of Eden, to have authority, to have dominion. But of course, through sin, man lost the right to rule. He lost that authority. He lost that dominion. And it was required that a man would come to fulfill that original plan. If an angel came, that plan, that promise of God wouldn't have been fulfilled. It had to be a man. It was God's plan that a man, that men, when I say man, I mean mankind, men and women, right? It had to be that a man came to fulfill that, that plan, to rule, to reign, to have dominion and authority. And how wonderful is it that Jesus came and lived a perfect life and also fulfilled that plan of his father to rule over creation when he, he died and rose again and took victory over sin and death and was victorious. He took back the authority, didn't he? And he took dominion. Let's look at, I'm going to just read this from the ESV if you don't mind. I think I've got it on the screen here as well. Just follow, follow me with this. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere else. And the writer of Hebrews now quotes from Psalm 8. What is man that you're mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Do you see God's original plan there? The, the, the humankind are just a little lower than the angels, that were crowned with glory and honor, as were Adam and Eve in the garden before sin, and that everything was in subjection under his feet. But we read on there, and it says, Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not see 
everything in subjection to him. Do you see that? At present, we do not see everything in subjection to him. But we see him, speaking of Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Matthew 28, 18. Then Jesus came to them. I'll just pop it on the screen for you. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the name of the Son, the name of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you, and surely I am with you, even to the very end of the age. We're talking about authority here. We're talking right now about rule and dominion. That original plan that God had for mankind to have it, Jesus had to come and take that and then share it with believers. And that's what he does. So that we can go out to the nations and make disciples so that we can baptize people in the name of the Father. So we have the right to do that. So we have the authority to do that and teach them to obey all that Jesus commanded us. A couple more scriptures on this point this morning. Ephesians 1.22. He put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. Revelation 3.21. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. What a great privilege will be ours because Jesus came as a man and walked in obedience and took that authority and grants it to us that we could even sit on his throne. And in Luke 19, he said to him, well done. This is the, the parable of the minus. He said, well done, good, good servant, because you were faithful in a very little. Have authority over 10 cities. See, there's mention of authority there, rule, and there's mention of the reward being that, that this person will have authority over ten cities. And he came saying, Master, your mina has earned five minas. Likewise, he said to him, you also be over five cities. I believe that in the age to come, you and I that are believers in Christ will rule and reign with Jesus as king in subjection to him. And he will give us, he will grant us authority over cities, over nations, and, and we will make decisions with King Jesus. In the first Corinthians six, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? And moving on to the next point this morning. Jesus had to come as a man because he had to be our example. He had to be our pattern in life. I mean, if Jesus hadn't come as a man, how would we know what God looks like? How would we know how to walk on this earth now? I mean, the reality is that Jesus really walked with real feet on, a dust, on the dusty streets of Jerusalem or whatever. It really happened. He was really here around, what, 2,000 years ago. And he is our example. The way that he walked, the, 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 what he left in this, in this book here, this is, this is our pattern. This is our example. So if he hadn't come as a man, that example would not be there. We wouldn't know how to walk. We wouldn't know what, what example to follow. Let me read um, 2 Corinthians to you here. Sorry. Go first, John first. He says he abides in him, ought himself also to walk as he walked. Everything that we're talking about this morning is from the scriptures. 
This isn't just me, me coming up with some interesting ideas. What I'm giving you this morning is Bible teaching. I'm giving you what the scriptures say on this topic. And that's why this particular message has got more scriptures than, than a typical message. It, can you contend with that this morning? Is that okay? That's why I've typed some of them up. You can see them on the screen. Makes it a bit easier. And 2 Corinthians 3.18. But we all with unveiled face beholding us in a mirror, which is, this is the mirror here, the word of God. If it's alive to you, if you know Jesus, and, and this, this is Jesus to you, this is your mirror. Beholding us in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, we're being transformed into, into what? Into that same image from glory to glory, the image of Jesus. And Romans 8.29, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Turn with me to 1 Peter 2, please. First Peter chapter two, verse twenty-one. For this, for to this you were called, because Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in His steps. So even in in suffering. Christ is our example. Now, I don't believe, really, when you look at the Scriptures in a balanced way, when you interpret them correctly, when you interpret the Scriptures from, from, from a new covenant lens, if you could put it that way, I don't see a God that wants to inflict suffering on people. But I believe that suffering is a natural consequence of sin. I believe this world has suffering, and I believe that we will experience degrees of suffering. But I don't believe that that's what God wants for anyone. But I do believe that there is, a, there is suffering in the Christian walk. But I believe that the area of suffering, yes, there may be natural suffering that we go through, but I'm talking more about spiritual suffering. I'm talking about the suffering of the flesh. I'm talking about putting to death the things of the flesh. Now, Jesus was our example. He suffered in the flesh. And I believe that we're to suffer, that there is a suffering that must take place in, in our flesh, in that carnal part of us, if we're to allow the life of God and the power of God to work out of us. I believe that, that there's a suffering, there's a pain often involved in saying no. A well-known preacher one time I, I heard, and, and he said, there must be a no in your spirit. There must be a no to the things of sin. There must be a no to the things of the flesh. That doesn't mean we always get it right. That doesn't mean we don't make mistakes. But your default settings are no, 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 I don't want that. And sometimes there's a pain in that when there's that moment of, oh, and then no. There's sometimes a pain because you've got to crucify that flesh. You've got to crucify it. But you've got to remember and look unto Jesus and remember he suffered in the flesh. That he suffered, and he suffered as a man with all the faculties that we have as human beings, and he knows what it's like. He knows what it's like to suffer. And when you're suffering, when you're fighting for your faith, oftentimes, look to Jesus and know that he's your example and he's your pattern. Turn with me to Hebrews 12 and 2 briefly this morning. 
you know, just before we go into that, I just feel, you know, a challenge, you know, are we willing to suffer? We've, myself included, and, and all of us here have got asked that question, you know, you know, it's easy to just flip into a Christian life, to do all the right things, to go to the right things, to involve ourselves in the right things. But are we going to allow that internal suffering? Are we going to allow the, the crucifying of the flesh? Because there's a wonderful life of the Spirit that gets released when that, when that happens. When, when, when you uh, commit yourself to, to saying no to the things of the flesh, to the things of the carnal nature, if I could put it that way. There, there is a power that, that will come. And, and we don't see the power, I guess, that we would like to see. The power that the book of Acts, the power of the Spirit that is spoken of in the book of Acts that we see in the New Testament. But we want to see that power, don't we? We're hungry for the power of God. And I, and I know, and you know, that there's nothing wrong with Him. There's nothing wrong with Him. And there's nothing wrong with us in our standing before God, because nothing can change that unless we deny our faith and walk away. Nothing can change the fact that we're loved unconditionally, that we're accepted, that we're children of God, and we know that, and that, that is something that has became, that God has restored to the church within the last while. He's restored those truths to the church, and we know now who we are in Christ, and we've realized, and that's an important thing, that God has, that God has given back to the church. So that doesn't change. There's no problem with our identity in Christ. That's something that, can, that is incorruptible. That, our, our natures have been changed. He's made us new creatures in Christ. You can't undo that. We're made new creatures. So there's nothing wrong with me in my standing. There's nothing wrong with him. So what's the problem? Why is there no power? I believe it's because we allow the carnal things, the things of the flesh, to take, uh, um, take up the space, I guess, in our, in our lives. Because, you know, we're vessels, we're conduits of, of, of the Holy Spirit and His power. So if, if that vessel's full of the things of the flesh, the, the, the spiritual stuff can't get through. It's just blocked. The Lord loves you. You're accepted by God. You're a child of God. That hasn't changed. He hasn't changed, Sarah said this morning. But I believe that if we can commit ourselves to saying no to things, to, to, to being honest with God and just dealing one at a time with the things that are paining to us. It's actually causing us pain. And I think in our society, we're addicted to comforts, you know. We, we just want comfort. We want that pain to cease. So we go to this comfort. We go to that comfort. We go to the other, other comfort. And, and some of those things are, are, are not outwardly sinful. And many of them are sinful. So are we willing this morning to suffer as Christ suffered, to allow the power and the life of the Spirit to be released in us this morning. Amen. Amen. Hebrews 12, verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God, the throne. Right hand of the throne of God, sorry. And just notice in that verse, the first three words. And I think this is just in our human nature, we, we skip ahead, especially those of us that are familiar with the word. And we say, oh, hallelujah, the cross, thank you, Jesus. And we skip ahead and forget that it says looking unto Jesus. Before we get to the author and the finisher of our faith, before we get to the joy that was set before him and how he despised the shame and sat down, before we get there, let's look unto Jesus. And that's what we're to do. We're to look unto Jesus as our example. Are you still with me? We're still on this point, right? We look to Jesus. 
as our example. You know, you can spend as much time, you know, meditating on the scriptures. As much time as you can give to it, you're going to get something out of it. If you take those three words and just look at the first word, just look at that first word, looking. You know, you could just meditate on that all day, looking. Looking unto Jesus. So I could look here, I could look there. I could spend my time doing A, B, or C, but what about looking at Jesus, getting some time alone, getting, looking at his words, spending some time in prayer, putting on some worship or singing a, a song out of your own heart to God, looking and, and, and fixing him in our mind, looking unto Jesus. He's our pattern. He's our example in suffering and in every trial and tribulation that we face. And in verse 3, same thing, for consider him, consider him. Before we move on to the next part of the verse, what does it say? For consider him. Just stop. Consider him. Take time to consider him. Why? Him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your soul. Yes, he faced trial. He faced tribulation. He faced hostility. And you will also face all of those things in this life. But lest you become weary and discouraged in your soul, consider him. Look to him. And let me read to you um, Philippians 3 and 10. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. So we're talking about suffering here that even leads on to death, that even in, in, in Christ's death, there's an example for us. And of course, it, in the New Testament, you'll see a lot of, of, this, of this talk of of, of dying to self, of being, being buried with Christ and, and raised with him in resurrection. And we were buried with him. That old nature, that old way was buried. We've been changed now. We find it hard now to contend with the things of sin or the things of the world. We know something's not right. If we dabble in the things of the world, we know oh, something's just not right here because we've been changed internally. We can't no longer find peace with sin. If we're to sin... Or, or operate in the flesh. It just doesn't sit well with us. We've been changed now. Because we're, we're, we're dead. We're buried with, with Christ. And, and we're resurrected in newness of life. That's a fact. It's a done deal. It's not something that, that you've, got to, you've got to reckon, I'm dead, I'm dead, I'm dead, and I'm dead, and, and try to make it something that, that isn't already happened. It's something that's happened. And I've, trust me, I've studied it. I've read. I've, I've looked into it. You look into it, you'll see it. We're dead. But we're risen in newness of life. Amen. Amen. I remember Stephen in the book of Acts that was stoned to death. He followed Christ's example even to the point of death. And I, I wonder if we were faced with that, we, we must, I guess, we must even to the point of death follow Christ's example. Because at the end of the day, this life is just a, a temporary thing. It's just a training ground for what's to come. And even if at the point of physical death we had to give our lives for Christ, we're going to be risen up in newness of life and we're going to be with Jesus. What does it say? Absent from the body, present with the Lord. So even unto death. We're 30 minutes in, which is good, so I think we've got time for a couple more points. I see Tammy smiling there, so hopefully that's good. <laughs> Let's move on. The good thing is when we get to the bottom of this slide here, we're... We're done. I'm not going to swipe it, and there's not going to be another eight points. Okay, so we're nearly done. 
This is interesting as you read on the screen there. And we, we've touched on this very slightly this morning already. And it's that Jesus, he had to come as a man, uh, to, to die as a man. And notice that Jesus rose as a man. Now, Jesus could have rose in, in a, as a spiritual being and just floated up to heaven. But he rose as a man. Although his body was different, his body was incorruptible, it was glorified, it was powerful, it was spiritual. It was the body of a man. They recognized him as the man Christ Jesus, didn't they? And, and actually, that body of Jesus, one of the reasons was that it's a pattern for what our bodies will look like, what our bodies will be like. And if he hadn't came as a man, died and rose as a man, that pattern wouldn't be there. And we wouldn't know what we are going to be like. But doesn't the scripture say that even those that put hope in what he will be like purify themselves? That's a mystical thing. That's an amazing thing that even if you and I were to take time out this afternoon and, and think about what I will become, that my body will be redeemed, that I will be changed, I will be like him, I will be incorruptible, I will have God's power emanating in me, that even meditating on that purifies you in this life. That's an amazing truth. Colossians 1.18 And he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Now, we know that Lazarus was risen from the dead. He wasn't the first person ever risen from the dead. But he was the firstborn from the dead. We talk about, in Christianity, being born again. And, and Jesus was, this was the firstborn of a new kind of person. And that's the type of person that we will become as well. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. Just a couple more scriptures to turn to this morning, and, and, and that's it. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 49. Just a brief uh, verse, and then we'll move on to a couple more verses in, in Corinthians 15. But first of all, just put your attention on verse 49. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, that's speaking of Adam, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. There's your scriptural proof for, for this concept this morning. We will bear the image of that heavenly man. Now just skip back a little bit to verse 20, please. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since man came, since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. Uh, in, 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 you know, my Bible, you know, the, the first man mentioned is in a lowercase and the second one's capitalized. It may not be in yours, but the first man is speaking of Adam. By him came death. And the second man uh, mentioned came the resurrection of the dead is, of course, speaking of Jesus. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive, but each one in his own order. Christ the first fruits. 
afterward those who are Christ's at his coming. And just notice that word first fruits. It's an agricultural metaphor, and it's referring to the first fruits of the harvest. The body of Jesus was that first fruits of that harvest. And we, the, the people of God, one day when he returns for us, will be that the rest of that harvest. Amen. Jesus being the first fruits. And we will receive that glorified, incorruptible, powerful spiritual body Amen. like the Son of God. So yes, he had to come as a man, and it was necessary so that he could be raised in that new body to be our example. And finally, this morning, Jesus had to come as a man to sympathize um, as high priest. He had to be fully man so that he could know by experience what we go through in our, in our temptations, in our struggles, and in our trials, and our difficulties, and our challenges by experience it just wouldn't be the same if he hadn't came as a man we'd be able to say yeah but God you don't know what it's like you don't know what it feels like you don't know how difficult this is you don't know this difficulty that I'm going through oh but yes he does know he does know because he came as a man and he knows by experience Hebrews 2.18 for in that he himself has suffered being tempted he is able to aid those who are tempted what an amazing reality He's able to aid those that are being tempted because he himself suffered, because he himself was tempted. And in Hebrews 4, 15, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. We can be confident. We can know that, that, that God is wanting us to draw near to him, that there's grace there for our weaknesses. He wants to strengthen us. He wants to empower us to, to be like him. And we know that in a time of need, we can find grace and we can find mercy, all because he came as a man, because he was here, because he knows what it's like. J.I. Packer. This is speaking of Jesus. His human experience is such as to guarantee that in every moment of demand and pressure in our relationship and walk with God, we may go to him, confident that in some sense he has been there before us, and so is the helper that we need. You know, you take a, a male doctor who's uh, an expert in obstetrics, which is the, the, the field of study of, of, of childbirth and, and pregnancy, and etc. You take a male doctor who's an expert in that, who has patients who are bearing children or etc. He has no experience of, of childbirth or, 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 or pregnancy, but, but he hasn't had knowledge. Now you take a female doctor who's also an, a, an expert in obstetrics, who herself has had a child, who has patients that are, that are having children. How much more is she able to sympathize than the male doctor because she's been there. She's had a child herself and she can sympathize with her patients, right? And that's just similar, faintly similar to Jesus and how he can sympathize with us because he's actually been here, because he actually experienced it. Have you got the point? <laughs> so this morning, yes, it does. The New Testament shows us that it was absolutely necessary for Jesus to come, not just as the Son of God, but as the Son of Man. 
and uh, it was for obedience. It was for to be our sacrifice. It was to be our mediator. It was to take authority, and it was to be our example, and it was to be that firstborn from the dead, and to sympathize. And I pray this morning that this, this fresh revelation on the person of Jesus, that it will deepen your walk with the Lord. And I pray, you know, I hope I see some pens and maybe people's type and taking notes. If you want scriptures, if you want a copy of notes or anything to study during the week and just meditate on this yourself, come to me and I'll, I'll copy that for you. Let me just quote Sidlow Baxter. This is the miracle of miracles, the meaning of meanings, which should rivet the attention of so-called Christendom today as never before, is the fundamental interpretation of things, compared with which the splitting of the atom is merely an infinitesimal incident. As the angels of heaven look down upon this earthly scene, surely their biggest marvel must be the absence of marvel at this eternal surprise that infinity has clothed itself with our humanity. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.